I think in looking at uh, Scripture in this way, I think it's important to understand the context, uh, understand and appreciate what's being said, and then I think we need to apply what's being said into our lives. So let's pray together. Um, Father, help us to hear what it is that you have to say to each of us tonight. Help us to appreciate your will for our lives. Amen. So, um, you may not know this, but Winston Churchill had a lot of trouble at school. It took him roughly three years to get through the equivalent of um, year nine when he was at school, and the reason for that was that he had trouble learning English, which for those of you that have read some of his work seems unexpected, but that was the fact of the matter. And uh, years later, he was um, asked to speak at Oxford University to the students who were just about to start their degree courses there. And he arrived um, with his usual props. So he had his cigar, his cane, and of course his top hat. He went with him wherever he went. And as Churchill approached the podium, uh, so the crowd rose to their feet with appreciative applause. And um, so with unmatched dignity, he, he settled the crowd down and stood quietly, confident before his, re his admirers and uh, took, out, took the cigar and carefully put it on top of his top hat on the podium and he looked at his waiting audience and he said, never give up. Seconds passed. And he rose to his toes again, said, never give up. And there was a long, deafening silence. And he reached for his hat and his cigar, steadied himself with his cane, left the platform. He was finished. <laughs> so the book of James is a terrific book. It was... Um, written in the early 60s AD and is in fact one of, the, one of the earliest of the New Testament books. It's reckoned that, that this particular James was um, Jesus' half-brother um, and uh, son of Joseph and Mary. He was the leader at this time of the Jerusalem Council. Well, check that, have a look at Acts 8. Uh, James was interesting because actually when you look at John chapter 7, you'll see that he didn't originally believe in Jesus and his ministry, and in fact, he resisted it. Um, so he's an interesting guy who wrote this book. Um, this particular book was probably written to uh, Jewish Christians, um, and they, it seems, had been dispersed don't forget, he was sort of in charge of the council in Jerusalem. And there was a, a time when uh, 
Stephen was stoned uh, as one of the first Christian martyrs, and that, in effect, triggered a dispersal of the Jewish Christians away from Jerusalem to the far corners, really, of the ancient world, places like Phoenicia and Cyprus and Syria. And James knew the people he was writing to, and he knew that for them, times were really tough. It was a time of oppression for the Christian church. The other thing that's really notable when you read through James is there are all sorts of echoes from Jesus' own teaching. Um, because, of course, James would have been familiar with it. So, for example, tonight we've heard, um, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And we first heard that from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 15 to 20. And there are other examples as well. So this is a book which is an early book. It's written by someone who knew Jesus intimately well, who initially didn't really buy into the whole thing, but came, became truly committed and a real leader in the Christian church. And he was writing to people he knew, and it gives lots of really good practical advice on how to live a good Christian life. So this, this is a book which is perhaps not as theologically complicated as some of Paul's books, but it's very practical. And um, before we get to this bit in chapter 5, the sort of things that James has been saying, you can quickly flick back through if you want to, but the sort of things he says is, speak carefully, use your tongue carefully, live wisely, live well, these are people who've been scattered, don't forget. Don't squabble amongst yourselves. Submit yourself to God. Put his interests before your own. Don't boast about what it is that you have. If you have money, use it well. And don't boast about what you plan, because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, greater wealth and power require greater discipline and humility in a believer. So this is, this is where we've got to. And it's pretty tough stuff when you think about it. You know, hard to deliver on the sort of things that James is asking of his readers at that particular time, given the context. So that's why when we get to the first verse of our reading, he says, be patient then, Brothers and sisters, because of all this stuff, I'm telling you, be patient. And the word itself has a wider meaning than just patience. It's to do with endurance, perseverance, stick with it, never give up. That's what he's saying. All right? This is how you achieve James 1 to 4. You do it by not giving up. Be patient, persevere, and endure. It's not easy. And he gives us some examples. Let's have a look at the first one. See how the farmer, for example, waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. This is a great example because we, of course, are increasingly used to a world in which you can get what you want to get when you want to get it. 
pretty well. You want to eat asparagus out of season? You nip down to Waitrose and there it is. All through the year. Now, that's a relatively new thing. But equally, you want to, um, if you want to get something straight away, you just go on Amazon and search and generally there it is and it pops through your letterbox the following day. That's one of my particular favorites. Um, it's, you know, you, you easy loans make saving unnecessary for many. If you want a nice house, um, you've got the income to support it, you can borrow the money. Um, so, as a society, I think, in the Western world, we are less accustomed to waiting. Well, compare that to the world in which James was writing. Uh, compare that to a farmer who actually has to work, he has to prepare the land, he has to sow the seed, he has to wait for the rains to come. Uh, that part of the world, there are spring rains, there are autumn rains, and uh, then he has to wait for the crop. And then he has to bring the crop in. Now, that kind of life was necessary to survive. How else were you going to get your food? You couldn't nip down to Waitrose to pick up a loaf of bread and a pint of milk. Um, so, this is a great example of patience, resilience, perseverance, and endurance. And um, it's a good example, I think, that he's used. Um, so, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm not the most patient person in the world. Um, I'm generally quite calm and quite patient, but my wife, Debbie, will tell you that there are moments when I get less patient uh, and, uh, and get a little cross about things. Um, there are times in, in the car, I don't know how good at you are being patient in the car. You've got some fool in front of you driving at 20 miles an hour and a 20 mile an hour limit. <laughs> yeah. Or you're, you're following yet another tractor on your way down, down to the south coast. Um, I'm not good at th that kind of patience. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of us actually, you know, uh, living with Im impatience, it tends to drive a feeling of anxiety because you're on edge, waiting for something, um, and you're feeling impatient about it. Um, Job is actually a really good example. This is our next example that James gives us here, verse 11. As you know, we count blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the, seen what the Lord finally brought about. So, if you've read the book of Job, you will know that there are times when actually Job gets really very cross indeed with, with the Lord. Um, and he doesn't come across as necessarily being the most patient individual on the planet, does he, when you think about it? Um, but he does endure, doesn't he? And he doesn't give up in spite of his feelings of frustration, he doesn't give up. He sticks with it. And I think this is actually the message for us, that, you know, some of us are not naturally patient and we do get cross about things. But the message here is it's about endurance, not giving up. 
sticking with it. And I think if you have a moment of impatience along the way, the Lord will forgive you for it. At the end of the day, it's the long game that matters. That's what we learn, I think, from the example of, of Job. Persistence, perseverance, and endurance. So, why should we be patient? What is it that James is telling us? Why should we be patient? Why should we endure? Why should we persevere? Well, verse 8 tells us, you too be patient and stand firm because the, Lord, the Lord's coming is near. The judge is standing at the door. The judge is the Lord. When the Lord comes, he will judge. Same person. And when it says he is standing at the door, actually the word there is like a plural, so it could equally be at the gates. So in a city-state, he's there at the gates, waiting to come in. So there is a sense here that actually um, James is telling us that the Lord Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come back and why should we stick it out? We should stick it out because he's coming. And he's coming soon. There is not much else that needs to happen. Arguably nothing else that needs to happen before Christ comes again. And um, that's why James says we've got to stick it out. And in the meanwhile... Take great care about what you say. He says, don't grumble against one another, verse 8. And he also says, look, there's no need to persuade people you're being truthful by swearing an oath, which was the tradition. If you really wanted someone to believe you, you had to say, well, I swear on my mother's grave. And if we go to court, we have to swear on the Bible. You know, this is a, a mechanism to persuade people really mean it. You know, I'm not being honest here. James is saying what his master, what Jesus has said, no, it's enough for you to say yes or no, because your word should be your word. So again, it's to do with how we use language, how we use our tongues. So the Lord is coming, and that event, he says, is near just outside, at the city gates. You know, in the Bible, we get the idea that as Christians, that we are like foreigners in a foreign land, expats, as it were, toughing it out in a foreign place. This is not our native home. This is not home for us. Heaven is our home. But we are, in the meanwhile, like foreigners in a foreign land. Um, and actually, we read elsewhere that, that this life is, uh, is not the main course. It's, well, at best, it's the starter. It's a mere foretaste of what there is to come. But, you know, this is a thought which I had that I don't know about you, but I, for one, I for one you know, quite like it in this foreign land. You know, it's not 
unpleasant. I think probably quite a lot of us do, don't we? And I think as Christians in the Western world, we are privileged and fortunate that we don't suffer um, persecution uh, in the way that the people receiving this letter did. Um, so it's much easier for us. But we value, I think, what we have. And actually, the truth is that if we don't get our, you know, three score and 10, our 70 to 90 years, we feel a bit shortchanged. Uh, I think we, we make plans. I do. Um, and we like to be able to see those through. We get comfortable in this foreign land, don't we? We almost forget about our true home. But you know, the Bible tells us that this life, you know, it's, it's a question of perspective, but to be honest, if you satisfy with yourself with this life, it's like just watching the trailer, never actually watching the movie. Um, it's like having, uh, it's, you know, like having a picture of, of a mountain uh, rather than actually enjoying the experience of hiking in the mountains. Uh, it, it's really just black and white television compared to full cinema screen glorious technicolor. But it's easy to lose that perspective. But that's the perspective James is talking about. That's why he says, you know, this is next. Don't get too hooked up in this foreign land. And when you're here, be careful with how you live. It's all about perspective. Because when the Lord comes, we will be judged. James says in verse 9, we will be judged for all the deeds that we've done. So live well for God. So here's the application. Okay, four things that perhaps we can, we can take home this evening. The first one is this. Never give up. Never give up. Keep going. Even when it's tough, when it's been years, when it's been decades, never give up up. Here's the second one. Be careful with what you say. If people irritate you, then love and pray for them. Point three, this is the grumble challenge. I wonder if each of us can live a whole week without grumbling once. Okay, now how much is that to ask? One whole week. Maybe next Sunday we can see how we've done. And the fourth one, lift your eyes to the sky. Right? This life is only a foretaste of what's to come. The amuse-bouche, not the main meal. So let's, um, let's pray together, shall we? Father, help us to rise to the challenge that 
James sets before us. Help us to endure, to persevere. Help us to be careful with what we say, to love and pray for the people that irritate us. Help us not to be grumblers, but to lift our eyes to the sky. Amen.